Welcome to the official podcast of the Mount Terubido Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thank you for joining us for our series, Still Disappointed? What 1844 Means Now. Our speaker for today is Pastor Michael B. Kelly II. The message for today is Signs of the Times. We're in part two of our series, Still Disappointed, uh, Understanding What 1844 Means Today. Um, so th- that's a, the series that we're in. We're in part two. Mark, uh, thank you so much. Last week, Jesus never disappoints. Somebody ought to say amen uh, to that. I only got a chance to get a little bit of it uh, because I was away at a, at a men's retreat. Uh, but, but, but praise God for, uh, for your word and starting off this series. Um, but here's a few texts we're going to be in. Matthew 24 and then also Matthew 16. Uh, and then a little bit of the chapter previous, uh, Matthew 15. So Matthew 15, 16, and 24 is where we'll spend our time. Guys, I want to go ahead and jump right into the Word. I want to preach under the subject, signs of the times, signs of the times. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, I do not bring anything. I am merely dust uh, and clay in your hands right now. And so I pray that you would mold me and shape me, form my lips uh, to speak those things Uh, that you would have me to say that would not just encourage us, that would not just challenge us, but would plant the seeds of change as we move closer to the event that we're all waiting for, your soon return. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us is our prayer in Jesus' name, but everyone say amen and amen. This year is the last year that Satan will reign in our earth. Jesus Christ will come. The kingdoms of the earth will be dashed to pieces, and he whose right it is to reign will take the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. If I were to stand up and make those statements that this is the last year that Satan will reign on earth, you would have a challenge with that because you'd be like, Pastor has lost a little bit of his mind. But this is not something that I'm making up. This is actually a quote from William Miller, penned. On New Year's address to Second Advent believers on January 1st, 1843. Miller and his colleagues had preached for years that Christ was going to return in 1843. But as a long-awaited year approached, Miller was pressured by his followers. He was what, everybody? Pressured by his followers to be more exact as to the time they could expect to meet their Lord. So they're like, look, don't just tell us Jesus is going to come. Give us the date and the time. And here's what Miller writes in January 1843. Yes, from study, but admittedly from pressure. I am fully convinced that sometime between March 21st in 1843 and March 21st, 1844. That's a, that's a, a wide range to give yourself, right? According to the Jewish mode of computation of time, Christ will come and bring all saints with him. And that then he will reward every man as his work shall be. Signs of the Times, January 25th, 1843, page 147. So one can imagine the feelings of joy, anticipation, and hope as they entered 1843. Try just for a brief moment, just for a moment, although we know it sounds crazy for people to set dates, but just for a moment, think of a group of people who have studied the Word of God, who have prayed for guidance from the Holy Spirit, and who believe wholeheartedly 
that between March of 1843 and March of 1844, Jesus Christ is going to come. People were living in that year like Jesus was going to come. People were living in that year like Jesus was going to come. Soul possessions. Hair didn't matter. Jesus going to come, going to get some new hair anyway. Clothes, what matter does it mean? In just a few months, I'm going to wear a long white robe. Come on, somebody. If you could read the letters, they are absolutely astounding. If you get a hold of, of some of these letters from history, I have some books I'm willing to loan out if you all would like to read uh, some of those letters sometime. But, but Miller pointed out that many uh, non-Adventists, as it were, during this kind of particular time would be watching for the falling away of many. And he spoke with more prophetic accuracy than he realized when he wrote this. This year will try our faith. Follow me. We're going somewhere with this. We must be tried, however, purified and made white. And if there should be any among us which do not in heart believe, they will go from us. In other words, William Miller was being very clear. If you all can't stand this heat of being made fun of and being made ridiculed about, he's all then, then you definitely will fall away. And we are okay with that. The dates that had been established for the second coming of Christ had come and gone and led Miller to once again study some more. They looked at Habakkuk 2.3 and Matthew 25 verse 5 and came to the conclusion that their spring disappointment had been predicted in the scriptures and that they were not to give up hope. Then they settled in on another date in April, on uh, April the 18th and 19th of 1844. The dates came and went and still know Jesus. Isn't it amazing how when you think something is supposed to be, when it doesn't turn out that way, you'll make the scripture say something that you wanted to say. You'll find the text that justifies you being with that person. You'll find the text that, that allows your temple to be filled with, with certain stuff as you declare, God made every plant. And every tree is his creation. The late spring and the summer of 1844 represent what we would call a low point in Millerism up to this time. The 1844 spring dates for the coming of Christ had passed. Millerite meetings continued, but the public was no longer responsive. They're still preaching, but people aren't coming. They're still teaching, but people aren't coming. And this is not surprising as the Adventist preachers no longer exuded the certainty that had previously made their message irresistible to many. You see, during this time, it was so important that not only did they speak with such certainty that, that the people were able to hear, but it was at such certainty that you go through the history books that those who were even under their watch were not even studying for themselves. They continued to preach, but with fewer results. A time of study came, which has been called the seventh month movement. And from this, they concluded that Christ would come October 22nd, 1844. October 22nd came and went, but Jesus did not come. Newspapers began to poke fun at Miller and his followers. The world still hangs in, hangs fire. The old planet is still on track, notwithstanding the efforts to stop her. The believers in the city, after being up a few nights, watching and making noises like serenading tomcats, this is from the newspaper, have now gone to bed and concluded to take a snooze. And we hope they will wake up rational beings. An excerpt from... A letter from Henry Emmons says this, I waited all Tuesday 
and dear Jesus did not come. I waited all the forenoon of Wednesday and was well in body as I ever was, but after 12 o'clock, I began to feel faint. And before dark, I needed someone to help me up to my chamber as my natural strength was leaving me very fast. I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, but sick with disappointment. Now we read that and it's so far removed, but if you were to read these letters, there is this legitimate pain that is in these people's hearts because they were expecting Jesus to come. Almost like that father that, is, that, 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 that he tells his, his children that he doesn't spend much time with, that I'm going to show up and be there. And they wait at the door and foreseen every car pass by only to find out that daddy changed his plans. But what's so interesting is 1844 was a long time ago. And every day that goes by is another day that Jesus has not come. But I got to be honest with you, which is so interesting. I don't see people experiencing the same disappointment. Have you noticed that? There's no angst amongst us. There's no drive that says, my goodness, it's another day and Jesus still is not here because we have gotten to a point, follow me carefully, where we have been accustomed to his delay. We've become comfortable with this concept that, yeah, uh, Jesus is, is coming, but we've been saying that, come on, y'all, let's keep this real. We've been saying that for over 100 plus years. That Jesus Christ is coming. And, and to be honest with you, when it comes to this idea of the second coming of Christ, I believe as a Christian Seventh-day Adventist church, and it's important for us to have this particular message, and you'll see where we're going in just a moment, that we are completely and totally missing the mark. Because we're Adventists doesn't mean we really understand the second coming of Christ. It's a cool name. It's a neat name. But does it really mean we understand this concept of Christ coming? So turn with me, as you'll see where we're going today, to Matthew 24. And we're going to be challenged from the Word just for the next couple minutes. And I'm going to sit down and we'll get ready to partake in the sacraments. Matthew 24, Jesus is coming out from the temple, and he's going with his disciples, and he points to the temples, and he says these words to them in verse 2. Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And then in verse 3, y'all stay with me. In verse 3, as he's sitting here on the Mount of Olives, the disciples come to him privately, and they, and they ask him this question. I want to read it the way the Bible says it exactly. Tell us when these things happen, and what will be the what, everybody? The sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answers them. And he says these very interesting words. Take heed that no one deceives you. Now, you stop there just for a moment. Because Jesus, before he gets into anything, wants to make something very clear. When it comes to my second coming, there will be folk, habits, patterns, traditions, all kinds of theologies that are there for one purpose, to deceive you in regards to my second coming. Now, when you look at the Greek word there for deceive, it does not have a theological bent to it. Deceive simply means this, to be led off of the correct path. Y'all keep that in your mind, like a little hint that you saw at the beginning of a movie that's going to come back at the end. Are y'all following me? Deceive simply means 
not to simply have a theological misunderstanding, because real talk, when we talk about the deception in the second coming of Jesus Christ, we talk about theological deceptions. Rapture, secret rapture, all that different kinds of stuff. But this word here that is used is so specific, it literally means to be walking on a path and to slightly be led onto another path. So he says, don't be deceived. Because there are going to be a lot of people going to do that. He says there are going to be many who come in my name saying that I am the Christ. For those of you who are maybe a little bit more uh, into different parts of the word, when you look in the book of Revelation, Jesus in Matthew 24 is starting to set us up for Revelation 13, where we see the Antichrist and the false uh, beast and the false prophets and all that in Revelation 13. He's letting them know right now that before John tells you all about these beasts that are coming from the sea and the earth, I'm going to let you know that there are going to be some folks saying they me, but they not me. And the way that you're going to be able to know that it's me is not because you spent so much time understanding what John hasn't written yet, but because you become so accustomed to the real thing, uh-oh, that when anything else comes, you'll be able to tell the difference. So he says, many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead, will mislead many. And then here's what he says, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, but look at what he says. See that you are not frightened. I like how the Greek says, literally, it pretty much says this, don't trip. <laughs> are y'all following that? He says, don't trip, for these things must take place, but that is not the end yet. He continues, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, I, I want you to follow this for a moment. If we really pay attention to the text, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse place, places, and here's what Jesus is saying. When that happens, that just means mama needs to go to the hospital. But some of us, when we hear that today, are losing our minds thinking that mama is just now going to the hospital. Y'all miss that. Wars and rumors of wars, that didn't just start happening with Iraq. Earthquakes in diverse places, which y'all think just because we had a few earthquakes in Japan, in Mexico in 2017, that that thing started? No, I can take you back to the war of 1812. I can take you back to the Civil War. I can take you back to things that were happening in the 1800s, 1700s, and early 1900s. And so when we talk about the beginning of birth pains, we are not in the beginning of birth pains. We're ready for delivery. But we're looking at the signs like that should be telling us something. We already missed them signs. Follow me, we're going somewhere. So Jesus says this. He gives them this wars, rumors of wars, but he says, don't trip. Don't pay attention as much as you think you need to to that because that's just the beginning of this thing. But look at what he says in Matthew 16. Just a little Bible study today. That's it. Look what he says in Matthew 16. I want you to look at verse 1. Matthew 16 and verse 1. Page is sticking here, so I'm going to put it on the, on the screen. Here we go. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up to him and testing Jesus. Pharisees, traditionalists, Sadducees, liberals, coming together all at once. So they're able to get along when it comes to tearing apart Jesus. And they ask him, 
show them a sign from heaven. He said, give us a sign. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Uh, Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? He's like, you know, when you look at the sky, it's going to do this, it's going to do that. You know the signs. But he's all, let me tell you this. A wicked and evil generation looks for a sign. Now, here's what's interesting about these words that Jesus said. In verse 1, they say, give us a sign. In chapter 15, it ends with him feeding the 4,000. What more sign do you need? They studied the Torah, knew every prophecy about the Messiah, and he shows up in their face, and they still don't know that that's the one who the signs were pointing to. And here's the interesting problem that I'm having as Jesus makes something very clear that a wicked and perverse generation looks for a sign. We, as a church, spend too much time in signs. Anytime the Pope shakes someone's hand, we lose our minds. We want to have a Bible study. Anytime there's a war that's going in, we lose our mind. Look at the times. Look at what's happening here. Look what's happening there. And we want to have these whole Bible studies. We want to go into prophecy and say, well, it said this about the time. And we need to look at the signs. Are y'all paying attention? What's happening to the government? Look who's present. Look who's that. And Jesus says, if that's your focus, you're a wicked generation. Because here is what Jesus is making clear. Spiritual people don't need signs. But what we're known for as a Christian Seventh-day Adventist church is signs. Whole Bible studies on signs. Whole Bible studies on what happens when the moon aligns here and and what that means according to this day and and all all this different kind of stuff. And and, and, and we keep coming up with these ideas and, and the signs sometimes get more and more ridiculous and more and more crazy because we've come up with them 12 years ago, but Jesus didn't come. Oh, no, no, no. And don't try and act like you're not into that whole paying attention to signs stuff because when 2,000 hit, you know some of the stuff that was being said in your Sabbath school class. Well, I'm not saying a date, but if you follow the signs. And it's crazy. We get on folk who follow horoscope signs. And we treat the government as so different. And so we are moved. And so now all of a sudden, watch this. When we see something on TV, when we hear something in the news, and there's a difference between reading it and understanding it. Because remember what Jesus said, when you see that stuff, don't trip. Don't lose your mind. Don't lose your focus, because remember, take heed lest no one deceive you and take you off of the path. So we read all this stuff, and that's what moves us? No. True followers of Jesus, we don't need signs. So my question to us is, why do we spend so much time in signs. I don't care what Trump does outside of dealing with some issues of social justice. Jesus is going to come when he said he's going to come. 
And if Trump never did another thing, or whoever it may be, my job is to be so connected to Jesus that if I could never hear another radio station, if I could never read another newspaper, if I could never hear something on the TV, I'd still be ready. See, some of us like the signs because it, we kind of like the time about how much we have to do what we want to do. Just, just tell the truth and shame the devil. Ain't been a war in a little bit, so I got a little bit of time. Then all of a sudden, North Korea starts talking up. Y'all, y'all is it a prayer meeting? Or... And that's why Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to give you no sign. Now they're there, but it's so clear that signs are what makes a difference. The children of Israel saw the Red Sea opened up, go to the other side, sing a song. There's no water. They complain against God. He gives them the water. Then there's no food. They complain against God. They see a pillar of of fire at night, cloud in the day, still questioning God. It is a point. You can get all the signs you want. If you're not connected and looking and focusing on Jesus, the signs will mean nothing. But we're a church that's known for our signs. So Jesus continues. Go back to Matthew 24. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes, but all these things merely the beginning, he says, of birth pains. He says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away. And will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead. Same word. Mislead. Deceive many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. But the pericope ends in verse 14. And he transitions his thought to perilous times in verse 15, but he wants the disciples before he goes anywhere else to be very clear. Verse 14. And this, say with me, of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. If we're a last day church that focuses on the second coming of Jesus, then we shouldn't be simply known for signs and times. We should be known for the gospel. But the problem is, we as a church don't understand the gospel. And so I dare submit to you that the end maybe has not yet come. Not because there's not enough war. Not because there's not enough lawlessness and pestilence and famine. But maybe the church that has the last day message don't have the message because they don't understand the gospel. We don't spend time 
digging through and understanding the gospel. And then churches that do are accused of being all different kinds of things when it comes to the gospel. And this is not an argument that our church has not had before. As a matter of fact, and we'll deal with this more in March as we have our series on righteousness by faith, what it really happened in 1888 and what it means for us today. But there, uh, before uh, Ellen White's husband dies, before he dies, and sometimes for Adventists to believe in anything, you got to throw Ellen White in there for a hot second. And so before William, before, before a husband dies, before White's harm, uh, uh, Sister White's uh, husband dies, he has a dream. And in this dream, he says there were two young men who will be presenting a message that will change the course of this church. Jones and Wagner. We're going to get more into it. Just follow me because I know some of y'all might be like, what are we talking about here? Ellen White meets up and hears one of these brothers preach, and they have this conference in 1888, and they are having this understanding and this fight inside of the church. And here's what this fight is about. Righteousness by faith and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the church is going like this. I'm not going to share with you exactly what both sides were until we get to March, but the, they're going like this, but the issue is the gospel. And here's what they do. You know what, sister? Why don't you go do ministry over in Australia? They send her away. Jones and Wagner are, are being accused of, 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 of being uh, uh, individuals who are going against the grain and, and who, are, who are blaspheming and all different kinds of things. They send her away over this issue of the gospel and how it is being presented and what it is and how it is being preached. They send her away, and I don't think it's by accident that Steps to Christ and Desire of Ages is written while she's gone. Two books on Jesus. But here is what she says. Direct quote. If we had embraced the message of righteousness by faith in 1888, Jesus would have already been here. Why? Because in this gospel shall be preached. But the church didn't want to preach the gospel. And so we're still here because we have not yet understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why it was clear when we as pastors, we were studying Roman in Romans in our, in our staff meetings. We're studying the book of Romans right now. And it was very clear. It hit almost all of us at the same time. Next year, our entire series, every series will be focusing on the life, the death, the resurrection, and second coming of Jesus Christ. Because we as a church must understand and preach the gospel of Jesus in such a way that it will not just be a message, but it will change our lives. Why? Because when this gospel is preached, then the end comes. But here's what I found out, and I hear this from so many people who have been in the faith. Pastor, well, when are we going to learn something a little deeper than Jesus in the gospel? Literally, people have said that. As if the gospel... It's simple. Here's something else I heard somebody else say. They said, Pastor, we can't just preach Jesus. Well, why not? Because what will differentiate us from every other church? Have you not read the book of Galatians where Paul says, I'm so afraid that so many of you have been far removed by another gospel? The gospel itself will separate us. And we don't need to be separated. 
We need to preach the gospel. But we cannot preach something we don't understand. And today is not, is not the sermon to get into what the gospel is. It's to get you to understand this, that if there's any church that should understand the gospel, it's God's last day church, which we believe we are. And why? Because in this gospel is preached, then the end comes. So we understand the gospel, not only for the gospel itself, but we should understand it in the context of end times. But we don't. That's milk for some of us. Signs in the times, that's meat. And here's what's interesting about this word. I want you to look at this. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be what, everybody? It shall be preached. Now, I want you to notice this. The, the, the word there, uh, preach, uh, in connection also with the gospel, the gospel itself, the word is a very interesting word, evangelion. It's a word literally that is a verb written in the present active tense, which simply means a messenger sent with good news. A way you can put that in is the news is only good as it's being sent. So the gospel is not simply a subject that is talked about, it's something that is carried. Within itself, the word means the gospel, if it truly is the gospel, can't sit. It's got to move. It's got to go. But here's what's interesting. When Jesus describes, then the end shall come, he uses a verb to say, the gospel shall be preached unto the world for a witness, then the end comes. So when it comes to this idea, there's a participation that we have as people in this idea of moving and preaching and sharing and spreading the gospel through our lives and through our messages. But signs of the times, all you got to do is sit back and wait and do nothing. And that's what we become very good at. Sitting back, watching the news, doing nothing, talking about the signs amongst ourselves. And this is not what the end is about. The end is not about a bunch of passive individuals waiting and looking at the sky to see what color it is. It's about individuals who have embraced a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and take that message out. Now, I know this is bothersome to some people. It's so uncomfortable, but I want you to listen to what it says. This gospel shall be preached to all the world. Not all the church in the building. Because then there are some of us that will grab the gospel and we want to pontificate about the gospel amongst ourselves. And the end is not coming because we get in a building and talk about the gospel. The end, he says, will come when I can see my people who have received this gospel, been changed by this gospel, and stretch themselves out. So we got to get out of this. Well, Pastor, what about us? And what about us? How are we going to take care of us? How are we going to take care of us? Man, if we would just do the work of God, we will be taken care of. But Jesus is supposed to come. And I believe the holdup ain't the government. They've been Sunday laws passing. I think the holdup is us. Because we don't get the gospel. And we argue about it. Theologically, just debate about it. And Jesus is waiting for us to take it to all the world. And that is why there are some people that don't believe Adventism is a Christian denomination. And you know I'm telling the truth. They call us a cult. 
Because at the forefront of who we are, it's not represented by this. And I'll tell you this, this is an end time text. I'm saddened. I was at a men's retreat last week. Had a chance to sit under Pastor Edmund's leadership as he preached and presented and did a gospel. One of, one of his things talking to these men was a gospel presentation. And I get it because I sat there and I just watched. First time in a long, long time when I go travel. Preached on Friday night. Didn't have to do anything on Sabbath morning. Had a chance to just get you know, poured into it and just watched. And I saw these men who had grown up in the church and genuinely, listen, genuinely struggling with the idea of understanding the gospel. They couldn't get this news, how good it was, and what it meant to their lives because what they heard, I need you to hear me, what they were hearing was in direct opposition to what they were taught growing up. And they grew up in this church. And so I know we don't understand the gospel. I know we don't. And if we want to be a last day church, last day message, we know it, people of the book, then we got to get this down. And we got to live it. And we got to share it. And so we're going to be challenged. 2018 sermon series starts in 2017, December. You can play softly for me, fellas. We transition into communion. Because all we're going to do all next year is we're talking, lifting up, preaching, singing, studying after church, praying over the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who want to know the preaching schedule, Pastor, what y'all preaching next week, Jesus? What y'all preaching the week after that, Jesus? What about in September, Jesus? We well, you know it's Women's Day, Jesus. We you know it's Men's Day, Jesus. We preaching Christ and Him crucified. We gonna preach Christ. We gonna preach Christ in our marriages, Christ in our families, Christ in our finances. Christ in our lives, Christ in our reconciliation, Christ in the Holy Spirit, Christ in how we serve, Christ in how we worship, Christ, 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 gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll be able to do it in a different way, in the context of another precious message that God has given us, relevant for these last days. Now, as they play, and I want to close with this, as we transition to our, to, our, to our communion. Signs get you focused on things. Gospel focuses you on relationship. And when you have relationship, signs are cool, but you don't need them. Because you'll have a communication with God that says, hey, 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 something's coming. No, no. See, y'all get weird when I said that. Do you not think 
that as you are walking with Jesus, that he will not tell you when things are about to come? No, 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 no. He doesn't need you to get it from me. And in some cases, he doesn't even need you to open up the word. If you have a walk with Jesus and you're listening to him, he will tell you something's coming. And that's where we need to be because there is a time coming where this will be taken from you. There'll be a time coming where all of this will be gone. Lights, praise teams, and choirs. But I'll tell you what they can't touch. My walk with Jesus. Because just a little talk with Jesus and walk with Jesus makes everything all right. And what last day people do say walk with Jesus. They walk with Jesus. They walk with Jesus. We pray that this message has been a blessing to you. So much so that you would be willing to share it as a witness. As always, thank you again for joining us and tune in weekly for more inspirational messages that will prayerfully give you a more intimate relationship with God.